Hey friends, this is Andy Storch, and I'm excited to announce that we are bringing the Talent Development Think Tank Conference back on February 22nd and 23rd in Sonoma, California. Yes, you might remember we hosted this conference for the first time in January 2020, and it was a huge hit with everyone telling us it was the best conference they ever attended. And of course, we were looking forward to running it again in 2021 until the pandemic hit. That's when I launched the Talent Development Think Tank membership community, and that's been going strong since May of 2020. But I know how valuable it is to get people together in person, and that's why we are excited to be bringing the conference back again on February 22nd and 23rd in Sonoma, California. I'm committed to making this a highly engaging and interactive event where you can connect, learn, and grow together with other talent development professionals. This is going to be the best event out there in talent development, and I would love to see you there. If you want to find more information and get your tickets today, the website is tdtt.us conference. That's tdtt.us slash conference. I hope to see you there. Welcome to the Talent Development Hot Seat with your host, Andy Storch. The show is dedicated to helping you develop the most important part of your organization, the people. If you are in HR or talent development, or you just want to learn how to get the best out of your people, then you are in the right place. This podcast is designed to give you what you need to be successful in the world of talent development. Now, here's your host, Andy Storch. Welcome to the Talent Development Hot Seat. I am your host, Andy Storch, and I'm really excited that you're joining me today for an interview with Linda Tai. And Linda is an organizational design specialist with a passion for change leadership and building effective teams. She has held leadership roles in organizational development and change management in the UK, in the US and Asia. She was born in Shanghai, completed her MBA at the London Business School and is now based in Chicago, where she is the global head of learning, leadership, and talent development at Aon, a global professional services firm. And Linda is also the co-author of the new book, Share, How Organizations Can Thrive in an Age of Networked Knowledge, Power, and Relationships. Linda, welcome to the Talent Development Hot Seat. Thank you, Andy. Glad to be here. And thank you for that commercial. <laughs> Very good. It's much better than I would have described. You're welcome. It's one of my favorite things to do is read people's bios to them so they can hear, oh my gosh, I've done all these things. And you have done a lot of amazing things, living and working in Asia, in the UK, in the US, in different industries, and now leading global talent at a huge company like Aon. So let's start with a little bit of background and who you are, and then we'll get into some of the topics we had planned. Yeah, sure. As you mentioned, I was born and raised in Shanghai. I completed all my education there, so I consider myself 100% Chinese. But then I spent the next 20 years navigating different cultures, having lived in the UK, US, being married to a Midwestern American man, and also have a beautiful daughter. She just turned eight who is a typical Asian-American, didn't think she is a little bit Chinese at all. Anyway, from a food <laughs> selection perspective, 100% right. American. I spent about 10 years of my career being a consultant. So exposed to a lot of the kind of business trends back then from Y2K, process re-engineering, technologies, workforce transformation. And I really found that organization and people are my true passion. 
So the next 10 years, I've been leading a range of culture change, change management, and digitalization work for different companies in different continents. So yeah, really the book is a collection of the stories and experiences Chris and I both have had in those companies and wanted to generate broader dialogue with people who are also doing the same thing. Yeah, beautiful. And could you talk a little bit about your role now as the global head of learning and talent development at Aon? Sure. So my team have, I describe, a very noble objective to provide learning opportunities to really everybody within the firm, and that is 50,000 colleagues across 128 countries. Continuous learning is a subject that's very close to my heart. I always tell my team and in the company, I was born in China. My parents don't speak a word of English. And really, since I left China, there's no nothing they could help me or teach me. So to me, continuous learning is the only way that I'm able to be here and to do what I, what I do. And I really believe that post fourth industrial revolution, the access to learning and the constantly evolving yourself is a basic human right. That's the only way we could stay relevant and stay employable in this increasingly uncertain and competitive world. So really the goal for the team is to manage AI University, developing and evolving our digital learning platform, developing the leadership capabilities and skills for our population and increasing it to my to what I was sharing earlier, continuous learning culture across the organization. If you work in talent development, you know that your job has become more important than ever. The problem is there's so much uncertainty and noise out in the business world and things are changing so fast, it's hard to know where to go and what tools and resources to use to solve your problems. That's why I recently launched the Talent Development Think Tank community as a central and safe place to access information, ask questions, and talk with other L&D professionals like you so that you can achieve your goals and accelerate your career. Join today to get instant access to our online platform and community of ambitious, helpful talent development professionals who understand your world and can help you solve your problems. Right now, I'm offering 25% off the subscription price to podcast listeners. Just go to talentdevelopmentthinktank.com and use code HOTSEAT for 25% off. That's talentdevelopmentthinktank.com and use code HOTSEAT. Thanks, and on to the episode. Continuous learning is huge. It's something that, you know, obviously everyone in the learning and talent development field is, is probably passionate about. Something I'm big on It has definitely served me well. And actually something I write, wrote about in my book that I'm writing now about how to prepare for future career change and the future of work, which is investing in continuous learning. You know, think of yourself like a doctor or a lawyer and, and always be looking for those opportunities. A question that came up in my mind as you're talking about that, you, you mentioned it as a, as a human right. And I love that. I've never heard it put that way before. So it's a right, but whose responsibility is it? You know, in the corporate world, is it the responsibility of the companies to provide learning to the workers or the workers to find the learning opportunities that they want? That's a great question. And if you solve that, I think you get a million dollars. <laughs> oh, sweet. <laughs> right. 
It's like an extra. Um, but Andy, joke aside, I think increasingly we all agree this is a topic that the governments, higher education institutions, and corporations need to come together to solve. I'm part of this roundtable called Rework America, which is funded by Macau Foundation. Also consisted of 20 American and global organizations, including AR, Microsoft, Walmart, etc. So basically, we came together to talk exactly that. There is a visible gap between education and employment. There are at least 60% of the Americans don't have access, for whatever reason, to a four-year degree. And what the implication is that it significantly hinder their lifelong opportunities, economic mobility and earnings. And how do we solve that? In the knowledge economy, where what you know, what you can do, increasingly not physical, is going to determine whether you work for machines or you design machines. So how do we help those people who are not started at the right place just because where they were born or which part of community they came from. Absolutely. And we can't expect everyone is going to be looking for those. And that's why I think the best companies are providing those opportunities, especially the right opportunities for the right people, not just kind of one thing, one size fits all. A couple of questions that come to mind, one that's actually popped up from somebody in the chat as we're recording this live on LinkedIn You've worked at a few large major organizations like HSCB, or BC, State Farm, Aon. Continuous learning, obviously very important to those of us in the learning and development community, but to actually implement programs, we often need support, sponsorship from the business, right? From the C-suite, from executives. How do you get them on board and supporting a big initiative like continuous learning? Sure. I think a couple of things. One is, instead of just starting with technology, which is a key component for continuous learning, we made sure that there are three coexisting pillars in our initiative. So one is obviously technology investment, but the second is around experience. And then the third is around community and the networks. And I really think the third is probably underrated In most cases, people forget that we are social animals. We learn. We also like to teach. And it facilitates a good feeling that you are contributing or giving back what you know and helping others to grow. A lot of times people do it without being rewarded completely spontaneously. And we see a lot of continuous learning being ground up viral change to generate that energy and a buzz. So we paid a lot of attention to purposefully curate or encourage those networks to form. We pull them together. We identify leaders who are oftentimes informal influencers across the business. We've led a series of social media campaigns on LinkedIn with leaders using their own words, talking about their continuous learning and career progression, which generated a lot of followership. So people love to see and understand how others got to where they are. So that's number one. And I think the other aspect is for senior leaders. Sometimes I talk to them and very simplistically, we need to put money where our mouths are. (laughs) They probably don't like me being that blunt, but 
really what I'm trying to say is that we ask a lot of our employees, right? So in the digital world, there was a, a stat saying that on average, American workers are juggling 24 different e-systems from emails to instant mm-hmm. messaging to WebEx to Teams. So it's a lot. And we ask them to do work more, more efficiently, better, cheaper. So on the flip side, what do they give to them? How do we show our investment in their career development and sometimes with the company, sometimes outside the company to show that we do care about their lifelong satisfaction and a career, knowing that we all are going to work until 80s, most likely, and it's going to be a long, long ride. Well, yeah, you're right. And and Aon, I know, competes for, you know, some of the best workers in the world, right? The knowledge worker base, professional services. And, you know, in my studies and what I've looked at and talked to people over the last couple of years, what people, especially younger workers, really want now is the opportunity for development, for continuous learning, right? And so if you want to be competitive and attract and retain the best people, then you've also, from to make a business case, you've got to be able to provide those opportunities, right? That's right. That's exactly right. I think any company who can successfully build that brand as part of the investment into their people is going to really go a long way in terms of attracting and retaining right talent. Yeah. I had a question from my friend, John Hernandez, who's also in Chicago, who asked, how do you enable and empower continuous learning at Aon? So maybe getting into the specifics of you know, how do you enable this and, and make this happen, especially in a, in a global company? We did a lot of things, John, and another time I can share with you. But just a, a couple of highlights, I think. One is to tell the truth. And I can tell you what I mean. It's not to scare people, but do make them understand that the workplace is fast changing. The reality is that we all are going to work much longer. We all are going to change careers. There's no job security. We are responsible and we can do things to really ensure a very satisfactory career by continuously investing ourselves and learn. So I talk a lot about the kind of just the macro context we are in. Sometimes it's a reality shock. But to me, it's not cuddle our employees by false promise. You know, all these lifelong employment are long gone. But just presenting reality in a way that we are going to help you. We also need your commitment to do your part, right? So that's number one. And I think the second part is back to what I was sharing is using the peer pressure and the social environment to show that this is something everybody's doing. In different parts of region, there are spontaneous kind of campaigns and challenges run locally that has gone down very well. In Latin America, we did a learning challenge. We asked people to send a photo shot of them accessing my learning, which is our digital learning platform, on their mobile in the most creative way. The amazing creativity demonstrated by people's photos were mind-blowing. There are people accessing my learning from a hot air balloons or doing yoga. And I love that picture. It was so endearing, accessing my learning with their children. So those pictures, the visual really stood out. Oh, that's really cool. So 
being transparent and honest with people, bringing them along and telling them you're going to need their help, and then using social interactions, peer, I forget what it's called, but basically like bringing people in, showing them everybody's involved and making it social, getting people to share. That's really cool. I wanted to pivot to something related to that, which is about culture and change management. And you've been a lot involved with a lot of change management over the years. I think a lot of companies are dealing with culture shifts, right? Making a change. And everybody's dealing with change now as we recorded this in the middle of kind of the COVID coronavirus crisis, if you will, with everybody working remotely. How have you led culture change in the past? Or what would you say are some of the keys to being effective at leading a culture change? Right. So number one, I would highly recommend there's a lot more in the book. (laughs) But to give you a little bit spoiler, so in Share, we did, together with a lot of experience and and the war stories, shared a culture change approach, which is four step from discover what is important from each individual and then to define what it means for the collective group the connection to the strategy and how the organization should compete. And then the third step is how do we develop a plan, a change plan, and how do we deploy through viral change through communications? But those sounds a little bit dry. So to give you a couple of examples, every culture change needs to involve the masses. What I mean by that is you see some culture change started with a war room, start with a group of advisors or even worse, external consultants and senior leaders. I don't think they will ever fly. So the culture change where, whereby I see more successful was those started with appreciative inquiry, which is listening exercise to the field colleagues, to people who are close to customers people who are providing services day in, day out. And those people tell you what the company means to them, why they choose to stay in the company, perform their duties, and what are their proudest moments. From the time we did the HSBC culture change, right after financial crisis, when banking was the place you don't want to be, (laughs) and the morale was really low, The byproduct from that exercise was the culture was already being changed even when you are having those dialogues. That's how powerful conversations are. People are feeling a genuine collective sense of purpose when they are telling us their personal stories about why they choose to work for HSBC, why they wanted to be in banking at this moment, when they connected with a customer or a colleague. That's number one. And I think the second point is about patience. Oftentimes, I see culture change has a very definitive uh, timeline, about two years, three years. And in my view, it takes much longer because any change is about changing habits and behaviors. And guess what? We are quite stubborn (laughs) animals and we don't easily change. So oftentimes, you see executives wanting to make an immediate impact or difference, and they are too definitive about what they want to see, and people start doing it as a checkbox exercise. And then that's all going out of the window when we have a different executive and had a different articulation of what the values are. But in reality, there are a lot of things that's longevity in the organization. And we often say that 
any institution is in the shadow of the founder. And there are things that stay with us for very, very long time. And that brings up my last point is we have to be very intentional about the process we go about culture change. So to give you a story, uh, one of the culture work I was doing is all about engagement, about caring. But then at the same time, we were going through a cost reduction. So the ping pong table were put in to encourage people balance work life and having breaks. At the same time, they were being recorded how much idle time they are having not servicing customers. Uh, And of course, the ping pong table left unused. So it's about those processes, the intent and uh, unintended consequences. That's so interesting, right? That on the one hand, you say, hey, look, we're putting this ping pong table in here. We want you to have fun and and take a little break. And on the other hand, we're watching everything you do and counting the minutes that you're not working. So people are going to respond to the initiatives or the incentives that are in front of them, right? And they're always worried about their jobs. So they're they're not going to engage unless you provide the right incentives. You show that you trust them, right? And really lean into the culture you're creating instead of just paying lip service to it. Absolutely. And you just mentioned the magical word, trust. I think trust is really underpinning everything, Andy. It sounds really simplistic and intuitive, but oftentimes we hide behind corporate talk. We make sure we say the right party line. When leaders really come out of their kind of shell and connect with colleagues on a personal level, we see a lot of the powerful change happening when people feel like they are heard, they are involved, and also they could be understood. In fact, I just read a recent stats that over 65% of the workforce now wanted to connect with company purpose on a meaningful level. And similarly, over 60% of the people are saying they want to be able to influence company strategy in some way or or shape or form. And that's across the board. It's not a Gen Z quirk. It's Mm -hmm. actually even like a 50-year-old are talking about they just don't want to clock in, turn up, and collect a paycheck. This episode of the Talent Development Hot Seat is sponsored by Advantage Performance Group. Advantage is the first place to call when you need leaders to lead, sellers to sell, and your business to flourish. We specialize in connecting organizations with exceptional learning solutions to help them turn strategy into action and get their people doing the best work of their lives. And we're also proud to be providing tons of great content and inspiration to you and everyone out there during troubled times. You can go to advantageperformance.com to find any of our weekly webinars, insights, white papers, and blogs we've been putting out to help you survive and thrive during challenging times. That website, again, is advantageperformance.com. And now back to the show. Everybody wants purpose, right? It reminds me of a a conversation that my friend Bennett Phillips told me about. He was at a conference or a networking event, and there was a panel talking about how, you know, the young workers, they really want to connect with purpose. They really want a purpose for their work. And this older gentleman stood up and said, 
hey, I want purpose too, right? And purpose well, that's is a great example, young, absolutely. Right? So uh, connecting to that purpose, and I'm glad you mentioned trust and transparency and communication. I do a lot of work in this area as well, you know, over the last 10 years or so, consulting with organizations and working on culture change and transformations. And it's so common that an executive team will spend months or a year working on a new strategy and come up with this long PowerPoint and just expect everybody to get it when, you know, they're going to go on on their daily lives, going back to their normal conversations. So how do you get them on board? There has to be a lot of trust. There has to be a lot of communication. And often they have to really experience it for themselves as well, I think. You are totally right. I think historically, and I'm saying this with a broad brush, I don't mean to offend. Definitely there are outstanding leaders who are not you know, falling into this category. But I think there's a tendency for historically CEOs and company executives to pay more attention to investors mm-hmm. and externally how the analysts respond, how their stock price rise or fall, and they pay less attention internally. How do they get people on board? Or to your point, they just expect people to get it. The communication of certain decisions are typically top-down. And last thing you want people to find out about restructuring is through external news. But this happens every day. Absolutely. And there are some companies that do a great job of saying, you know, our big, our most important stakeholders are our employees, our customers, and we don't worry about the quarterly earnings. But a lot of companies do give in and, and are catering to investors and the employees don't often understand why certain decisions are being made. By the way, if you're in an organization like that, I can help. We have a lot of great solutions to help uh, employees get on board and get aligned with those things. But one more thing I wanted to ask you about, of course, is the book. So the book, Share, I know you wrote this with Christopher Yates, who's Chief Learning Officer over at Microsoft, and you spent a lot of time together talking over the years. What is the kind of the impetus and and what is the book about? The book is really a call to action to most HR organizational practitioners, as well as executives. So Chris and I, going back to a little bit how this book started, we spent a number of years working together. We ended in Midwest America, working for different large organizations at similar time. And through a numerous set of chats, we came to realize a few things. Number one, there's a lot of fear and anxiety in our workforce given how much uncertainty there is in the world, right? Starting from the financial crisis or even going back like Y2K, then it's the September 11, then it's the 2008 financial crisis, and now it's a pandemic. But at the same time, a lot of the traditional relationship that's community-based is have broken down. So I'm thinking about the parent-teacher conference, thinking about the bowling club after work, thinking about the Christmas party companies used to organize. All those are going away. And then on the individual level, every company is talking about new skills that they have to go out and buy. They talk about digital data scientists, da, da, da. But no one had a plan to how do we develop that for our existing workforce it's a very unsettling time. The book is really challenging HR and company executives to look at how we are prepared 
for an unprecedented time of change and how we are reinventing our people processes to make sure there's the trust, there's the support, and there's the mission and the purpose all embedded in how we bring our workforce along. Wow. And it's interesting. You've been writing this book for, I don't know how long you've been working on it, but I assume it's been a few months or more helping HR and other people prepare for monumental, unprecedented change in a global economy. And then as you publish it, we go into this major global crisis that's affecting workers around the world. It's kind of timely. It is very timely. Although it's not a publicity stunt by you, right, to cause uh, COVID-19? <laughs> right. You're right. It's completely unplanned. But hey, we are all in it together. So a couple of things. One is you are absolutely right. When we wrote the book, we were kind of talking about things like we need to be more collaborative instead of competition. We were talking about ethics, ethical decisions corporations increasingly need to make to trade short-term profit versus long-term growth, to trade return on investment versus people. So we were kind of dabbling around the topics like stakeholder economy, how do companies and governments coming together to solve really big societal challenges like climate change. We didn't foresee there will be a pandemic, but somehow I think what we are in now really illustrated, number one, how vulnerable we are as human beings. Mm-hmm. The anxiety, the fear, you know, it's just so clear in everyday news and on social media. And the number two is really we need to have a more sense of togetherness that we need to come together overcoming bias and judgment on really everything, you know, where you come from, what kind of value or language you speak, or which political model you have. And we want corporates to going forward and not forget about this experience. But when we look at our value work, look at the change we need to facilitate to be more intentional about the underlying values we put in it and the assumptions we are basing our decisions on. Absolutely. There's so much of a need to overcome bias and judgment. I think we've come a long way and we there's more work to do and we're seeing some of it out there. I'm just glad that so many organizations, I mean, you know, I work with all kinds of different companies and, and talk to talent leaders from all kinds of big companies and everybody seems to have a major DEI initiative now, which is really nice to see, you know, not just paying lip service, but making a business case, making investments. So I think we're starting to see a lot of change there. And I think it's something that is, you mentioned to me, is a big initiative at Aon as well, right? It is. And first of all, I'm very proud to be working for an organization that really put colleagues and workers' well-being at the forefront of business. So to take COVID-19 as an example, Last week, we announced that we made some tough decisions on promotion, marriage, so we could increase the emergency care and the benefits for people who need, either their family needed the care or that themselves, unfortunately, fallen ill and needed the time and benefits. We had to make sacrifices as collectively a community in order to protect the most vulnerable. And everyone get that. No one complained People know that's the right thing to do. 
that's to me is DEI in action. It's not about lip services. It's about having that we are together. We don't really differentiate just for all the kind of variables you could find in an HR system. But how do we come together to, to face those big challenges? Well, within Aon, I think very early on, our leadership as part of the business roundtable, which include 180 global CEOs, have announced that we not only care about our investors and shareholders and customers, we also care deeply about our employees and communities we are in. And I think that's the reality we are in today, is that it's difficult to balance all the stakeholders, but we kind of have to because we are in this kind of ecosystem and any decisions you make will have a profound impact on a lot of other parties. So I know I dribbled from your DEI question, but yeah. I think DEI for me, it and being a kind of, depending on the day, you could say I'm women, I'm people of color, or, <laughs> you know, right. but I don't want people just to pay attention to certain segment because I happen or others happen to fall into those segments. DEI is really about inclusion and being mm-hmm. equitable with everybody that's working in the company and in the community. Well, that's what I think is the big change that people are really getting now. I mean, there was for a long time, people talked about diversity and, oh, we need to get more women near the top or people of color or whatever, but there wasn't a discussion about making everyone feel included, bringing them whole selves to work and having a, an equal conversation. And now that, that's that's what everybody seems to be focused on. So I think there's been a big shift. And I think that's going to make a big difference in the business world going forward. So I love seeing progress like that. Let me shift to you, Linda. You've done a lot of different things and you know, worked in different places, written a book now. What would you say has been your greatest accomplishment or proudest moment in your career? I was hoping you don't ask that question. <laughs> <laughs> You're too humble. Uh, I don't think I, I don't think it's fair and it's, it's kind of like, okay, so will there be another competition? No, I'm joking. You can ask me any questions for this purpose. I'm not sure. I was asked this question and I said maybe a little bit cheekily, I'm really proud of the team that I was able to run up in Aon in the last couple of years. And so to give you a little bit of context, I had a technology team, I had a learning program team, and then I had a early career team and then deployment, which have all the communication, all the logistics and coordination. So really, I think for continuous learning, this initiative, everyone came together. And it's fascinating and so energizing to see that people start to give ideas and they watch out for each other. They give me suggestions. Oh, we haven't thought about this. So really the change communication for continuous learning and everything we do was a team effort across the board. And all these, like I said, the campaign, the social media, all these work were ground up. Uh, We did a Yammer Jam. A lot of things were not planned or scheduled. People just felt like that was the right thing to do. And to some extent, it's starting to become a movement. And this is how we see most things that kind of caught fire on social media. And I'm totally convinced that we can do that in AM. Absolutely. That is really cool. And you're just just getting started, it sounds like. You built a great team. 
just warming up. I do like to ask about the flip side. I think people often learn the best from mistakes and failures. So what would you say has been your biggest failure or mistake in your career? And what did you learn from it? That's very personal. (laughs) Okay. I'll be honest with you. This, maybe you already know it, is first of all, I think the hard moment really made you know who you are and what you are made of. Mm. So I'm grateful that a couple of years ago, I had this epiphany in my career that I realized I was not enjoying the type of work I was doing. Yeah, And I realized my personal style and really what I'm passionate about is more the development side of things rather than the financial or restructuring side of the things. So I left a job that on paper was everything great and everything. And I went into soul searching for a few months and decided I really want to do learning. So I'm grateful that I came to Aon and there's the platform, there's the team, and there's like a lot of great things we are doing now. But I think the learning I had from that is number one, we need to be honest with ourselves. Self-awareness doesn't come naturally. It comes with a lot of reflection and harder questions to yourself and maybe conversations with your trusted mentors. And number two is the courage to walk away from either good job or good pay or embrace change. It takes a lot of courage. And like, you know, Andy, you probably also did that yourself, right? You had a big change in your career, but you are passionate about what you are doing now. If you're looking for a place to connect with colleagues and peers from your industry and find out what other people in talent development are working on, you need to check out the brand new Talent Development Think Tank membership community. Inside, we have members from companies all over the world who are working on all different things in talent development and sharing what's been working, what's been not working, and answering each other's questions so we can all get our jobs done more effectively and be more successful in our careers. If you'd like to join us, we'd love to have you. Just head on over to tdtt.us slash community, and you can use code HOTSEAT for 25% off your subscription. That's tdtt.us slash community and use code HOTSEAT for a limited time for 25% off your subscription. If you have any questions, reach out to me and let me know and we'll see you there. So passionate, 100%. Absolutely. I've made some big pivots. I've made plenty of mistakes. I've made some big pivots. I've also been lucky to have a great leader who just who knew, discovered my strength. You talk about self-awareness. I talk about self-awareness all the time. I think it's one of the most important critical factors for leadership today. And so many people are not really aware of their strengths, their weaknesses, what they really want to do, what success means for them. And I've done a lot of that work, a lot of inner work, studying, you know, learning from others, figuring that stuff out. And I hope that other people will do that. And sometimes we need help. We need feedback. We need suggestions from mentors, managers, leaders. And I want to help leaders do more of that as well, because we need it. We need people. We want people to end up in the best careers possible, doing their best work possible, living their true potential. And it's cool that maybe you made some mistakes along the way, but you figured that out and ended up where you are now doing some great work and being able to share more of that in your book. Next question I want to ask, in the world of talent development, what trend or trends are you following right now that might get bigger, become a, make a bigger impact soon in, in learning and development, talent development? 
There are a range of things that we are following in learning specifically is how do we balance in the structured learning and the self-directed kind of learning. So one side is when you go into role or in order for career progression, you need a macro learning to get the basic competencies and skills in order to perform. And then the other side is more for personal enrichment and kind of the YouTube experience. I think so much hype has gone into the right-handed, that is fast-changing, dynamic. You search, you navigate, you learn whatever on the fingertip. And then we kind of downplay the importance on the left. The implication of that is it can be very disorienting. And I read recently that the most stressed population at work is actually the younger generation, people who are just starting work. It's not like back in the day, you know, after two years, you get here and what's required to get to the next level. The world is just like a big ocean. (laughs) And they often feel like they are left on their own without sufficient mentoring, coaching, or manager's attention. And their managers are probably struggling the same, trying to understand what do they do, right? And what they learn in their career probably are not applicable to coach the younger one, even just after five or 10 years. So I think the balancing part is is really important. So at the next level, I think we are looking at a a range of things from adaptive learning using assessment and AI to recommend more personalized learning content. We're looking at more future-looking skill uh, definition. So kind of being able to articulate what digital means, what kind of career you might have and giving people more engaging tools to develop their career. So we're looking at a range of things. I think increasingly a challenge, I feel, maybe that's not your what you're asking for, but if you allow me to go there, sure. a challenge, and I'm kind of curious if anyone who also are dealing with the same, is how do we, as a function, as professionals, to translate experience into skills? So if I look at myself, I've done a range of things. And when I first was looking at, say, I want to do learning and talent development coming from a consultancy and change management background, I find a more utilitarian way of sourcing from companies would be like, oh, you haven't done these positions. Therefore, you can't do this. Well, I didn't grow up from learning per se but I brought different perspectives into leading a learning function. So how can we help talent development, talent acquisition to develop that kind of understanding, help business look at transferable skills, translating experience into skills, and that will really help the talent, I think, in a broader sense. And translating learning into behavior change, right? The greatest challenge in learning and development, making sure that the learning sticks and people go take action and they have those new skills. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. Cool. I think it's a big subject. I wish we had more time to dig into it, but I I have some ideas as well. So we'll have to talk more after this. Is there a book besides your own that has made a big impact on you or that you often recommend to others? I have several books that I love, but the most recent book I would recommend is Sapiens. And I think many people probably are quite familiar with the book, but I actually love most books that's 
written by anthropologists or historians. I think we often don't look back as we are busy looking forward is who we are as a species and the power of storytelling and imagination. It's been a powerful tool for thousands of years, and it still is today. And that's it's so important that people realize that, right? And I've actually run some workshops on storytelling and how leaders can use storytelling. We forget about it, but it's how we got people on board with our ideas, you know, aligned and, and wanting to move forward in the same way for thousands of years. And so I've heard the book Sapiens really good. Of course, that is Sapiens by Yuval Noah Harari, I think I hope I'm saying that's that right. right. Yeah. He also has a website. Anyway, yeah, you get an idea. Cool. Last question for you, Linda, for anybody listening who is looking for ways to take their career in talent development to the next level to achieve more success, what's one more piece of advice you would give? I, I'm very hesitant to give you advice because I don't think I figure it out. Or <laughs> but I would say keep an open mind and keep working on yourself. I do believe that maybe that's part of the Eastern philosophy which forms part of my background, is a good leader in any age will need to constantly improve yourself and be open-minded to adjust your own frame of reference and unconscious bias, so to say. I think talent development has increasingly become a cross-disciplinary topic. It's not just about learning. It's not about training. It's about how do we provide the ecosystem where everybody of all sorts of talent could flourish. And that requires experimental thinking. That requires the attitude of borrowing or copying from other disciplines. And it's definitely not something that could stay static. Absolutely. Absolutely. I agree. All right. So that's all we've got. The book is Share How Organizations Can Thrive in an Age of Networked Knowledge, Power, and Relationships. And I know that's available on Amazon now. So go out and check out a copy of that. And Linda, I know you're on LinkedIn if anybody wants to connect and get in touch. Anything else you would add before we close out? Um, I'm pleased that you have this opportunity to connect with you. It's been super fun. So thank you, Andy, again for this great opportunity. And I definitely want to keep talking with you and get your experience on a few subjects you mentioned. So great experience. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you, Linda, for coming on and sharing some of your knowledge and wisdom and experience with all of us. And I hope you have a great week. Thank you, Andy. Talk soon. Thanks again for listening to the Talent Development Hot Seat. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to leave us a rating and review on iTunes to help other people find the show. And as always, you can find all of our episodes and tons of free resources on our website, talentdevelopmenthotseat.com. Thank you again and take care.